Welcome to City on a Hill's podcast. This week's podcast can be downloaded on iTunes or our media library at chccny.com. December 26th would come. Some of you didn't believe me, but it did come, right? And then the Christmas spirit that was here for the month, month plus dissipates and is gone. And you want it back. How many of you want it, right? You want that back. No, you don't want it back? It's kind of nice. Well, I had a chance on a, on a different note before I get into today's sermon. I had a chance to watch Unbroken this week. How many of you saw the movie? Uh, a bunch of you did. Great. If you get a chance, please see it. I'll be preaching a sermon next week based on the book. Was not really crazy about the movie. I'm going to be honest with you. You should go see it. I th- they don't really touch the end of the end part of his story, his faith experience, going to the Billy Graham crusade. It's an amazing tale. Uh, but so again, if you didn't like the movie, trust me, I think you'll get something out of my sermon. I'm going to give you some quotes and talk about certain things that are not mentioned in the movie that I feel are really important. But I want to engage culture. And I think I'm asking you, if you, this is like the number one best-selling book in the last couple of years. I highly recommend you bring people in. This is a t- you don't hear, usually hear me say this, invite people that read the book. We can talk about, you know, they'll understand things. Oh, yeah, I remember that scene in the book. I think it's a perfect opportunity to do so. So people that may say, you know, I never want to come to a church. I'd never, you know, enter a church. Maybe this is an opportunity where they really would. Why, your church is talking about unbroken? So uh, I hope you do that. Well, it is, as Pastor Joe said, the last Sunday of the year. How many of you are ready for 2015? All right, you're ready for a new year? Did you know that uh, Megan had just told me this last night? Megan is not here this morning. And and to top it off, what a beautiful night. The baby's, I don't know, he's got the croup. So he's coughing all night. So I'm on, my mind's lucid, I'm lucid, but I'm working on very little sleep here today. And uh, Megan was telling me yesterday, I didn't know this, that in the city on New Year's Eve at Times Square, did you know they call it actually, let's give you the exact name, it's Good Riddance Day, there's a contest that they have a huge shredder, and people can actually shred stuff from the prior year. You had a bad relationship that went sour, right? You can take pictures of those into that individual, and you can shred them, whatever documents that you want. So wouldn't it be kind of neat if we came in here for the New Year's Eve service, we had a huge shredder up here, and you brought in things from the year that you wanted to get rid of, memories you don't want anymore? I guess all of you had a great 2014. Nothing you want to get rid of. All right, well, thought I'd throw that in there. I want to start off with a a word association game. Yes, a game. Are you ready for the game? Can you handle this? All right. I'm going to give you a name of a person. I want you to tell me what they're known for. All right, first one. Let's start off hard, not easy. Frank Lloyd Wright. What's he known for? Architecture. Very impressed. I heard a lot of people with that one. How about Oprah? Here's some snickering. What is, well, come on, what's Oprah known for? New Age. <laughs> That's not what I expected. All right. New Age. Great. Anything else? TV, right? She's not, she has her own network now. Uh, how about Mother Teresa? Prayer. Poor. Saint. Okay. Yeah, perfect. John Grisham. Novels. Books. I don't read fiction. He's probably the only author I've read in the last 20 years. Love his books. How many people are big fans? Really good stuff. Uh, Beyonce? Yeah. 
right? Beyonce, if you liked it, you should have put a ring on it, right? How many of you are big Beyonce fans? I'm not going to sing you the whole song, but Beyonce has some really good music, right? Beyonce, you know what she's known for. How about last one? Peyton Manning. Football. Football. Now, 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 let's stop for a second. Let's stop for a second. Peyton Manning is known in forever now. He'll in, be indelibly etched in my mind for ruining fantasy football seasons across the country. You want to know what I was doing on last Monday night? Monday night football. I'm in the fantasy football championship, right? At midnight, all I need is Peyton Manning, the greatest, arguably the greatest quarterback in the history of the game. You need to march your team down and get a field goal, right? Just a field goal. That's all I need. And I win the championship. And he throws two interceptions and I lose. I lost because of Peyton Manning. Still so angry about it. Man, how pathetic. I even woke Megan up literally at midnight. I'm like, my, my, this other guy, happy scores a touchdown. I'm like, Megan, I'm going to win the championship. Which you're like, really? It's pathetic. It is pathetic. But still, I was going to win. And she's like, what's going on? She comes downstairs. And there I am jumping around. I was all excited. But I lost. Again, I lost. All right. Yeah, the shredder, right? Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Fantasy football is a billion-dollar industry, and I've tried to, like, pry myself away, and then certain loved ones have sucked me back in. <laughs> Literally, this week, Megan's like, you have 24 hours to, like, you know, endure the suffering, this loss. Like, you can talk about it. After that, I never want to hear about it ever again. All right, anyway. So you did pretty well on that uh, word association game, the quiz. I'd like to say to you, put before you, that everyone is known for something. Wouldn't you agree? You hear a name, I gave you a name of somebody that was fa- I gave you famous people, they're known for something. I would say to you this morning, the last Sunday of the 2014 year, you are known for something. When people hear your name, when people say your name, you are known for something. You don't think of that a lot, but it's really true. I came across an uh, uh, obituary some time ago, and I didn't know a heck of a lot about this guy's story, but it was in the Times, and it really struck me as, as kind of weird. And I want to show it to you. This is Victor Dorman, 80 years old, who altered the packaging of cheese dyes. Right? This is real. I didn't, I didn't, this is not fabricated. I've not changed anything. Victor Dorman, who helped change the way Americans buy cheese, by putting the paper between the slices. As chairman of the Dorman Cheese Company, died on March 4th at his home in Delray Beach, Florida. He was 80 years old. Now, I did a little more research into Victor's life. He was uh, a philanthropist. He was an officer in the Navy. A pretty accomplished life this guy had. But when it was all said and done, this is what he was known for. The guy that put the paper between the slices of cheese. That's how he was eulogized. Pretty interesting. And I have to say to us here, this last, again, this last week of the 2014 year, I want to ask you a question, a very poignant question. What do you want to be known for? Really, what do you want to be known for? Everybody is known for something. From the time that we're young, when we're young, when we're kids, we think about our destinies. 
We think about success. We think about achievement, meaning. We want to find meaning to everybody. It's innate in all of us. It doesn't matter who you are, what your gender is, where you live. You want to find meaning in this world. And stretch before you. We have a few days left in this calendar year. But stretch before you this week. You will embark on a brand new calendar year that is unwritten. It is untouched. It is unblemished. A new year. And so, in 2015, what is the legacy that you're going to write with your life? Do you know that the month of January, it's actually interesting, I'll put the picture up here. The month of January is actually named after the mythic Roman god Janus, who quite has two faces here, as you see in the picture, and he is the god of doors and the god of gates, because both can be, you can enter them from both ways, right? So that's why in 156 BC, it became known as January. And we marked that. And it's interesting. I thought about it. I said, wow, it's fascinating that we as a people can look back to the prior year. And maybe you want to shred some things. Maybe there are some things you want to get rid of. But we also as human beings are able to look forward into the newness the next year and say all the possibilities, all those things are their habits and things that we want to change in our lives. Don't we want to experience real transformation? Do you want to be the same person in 2015, December 28th, which by the way, it's Pastor Joe's birthday. Happy birthday, Pastor Joe. Right? All right, stop the clapping. Do you want to be the same person at the end of 2015 that you are today? Because if you do, that's sad. I don't think, that's, I don't think anybody here, that would be the case. We all want to be people that experience real, lasting transformation. And can I ask you a question? Sometimes we need our bell rung. Would you agree? As a preacher, sometimes I have to come in and ring your bell. I don't do it a lot, but this, that's kind of what this Sunday is a little bit. If 2015 was your last year, what would you want it to be known for? This upcoming year, what would you want it to be known for? Because I can tell you, 2014 was the last year for a lot of people. Robin Williams, Philip Seymour Hoffman, Maya Angelou. I mean, the the list goes on and on. Famous people, a lot of people that you know, you've heard their stories. It was their final year. And again, I don't want to be morbid, but listen, the reality is one out of one people die. Everybody will die. We don't know when it is, but it will happen. And sometimes we act as if that will never take place in our lives. I'm here this morning to ask you, how will you do with 2015? What is the legacy that you will leave? What will you be remembered for this calendar year? So another article in the Times that really hit me uh, a while ago. And uh, it was about the world-renowned architect, Louis Sullivan. You know, he probably heard that name. He mentored Frank Lloyd Wright. And at one time, this is amazing, he had 135 buildings in Chicago and New York. 135. And the article went on to say when 2012 began, there were 20 left of all of those buildings. And at the end of the year, there were only 14 left. A couple more went up in smoke. And this was the title of the art. This is the title of this article. Legacy up in smoke. That phrase kind of haunted me. Legacy up in smoke. This renowned architect that everybody knew. His legacy was these incredible buildings. Not much left. Only a few left. And I thought about us. 
And I said, what are we devoting our time to that's going to go up in smoke? Stultifying pleasures, things that really, they're inane. They don't really like, like fantasy football. Really, things that we honestly, what is it in your life that you're devoting your time to that ultimately one day when you go before God, it's going to go up in smoke. There's going to be nothing left. What is that for you? We all have different things that are going to go up in smoke one day. We wonder sometimes why that God feels so far from us. Because we spend so much of our time, like C.S. Lewis says, we're on the seashore with, playing with mud pies. And, and look what's offered to us, a holiday at sea. And we settle. Oh man, we are so good at settling. So what is, this is the question, the crux of what I'm talking about. What is the supreme legacy we can write for our lives? Not even just for the next year. What is the supreme legacy? The, the loftiest thing, the highest pursuit for humanity, for us as Christians. Well, I'm glad that you didn't, maybe you were asking that question. You probably weren't, but I think there is a supreme legacy that the Bible talks about for all of our lives. The Bible answers this question and it comes down to three primary things. How many of you know in life there are usually primary things, right? You look at all of the thousands of people, the beautiful architecture in the world. What does it come down to? Three things. Lines, angles, curves. You go to Home Cheapo, you go to Sherwin-Williams, right? You have to paint something. A lot of you just totally miss that. You're going to paint something on your house, right? You go in and you're going to get the paint. What does it come down to? Three primary colors. Red, blue. Wow. Yellow. Good guess. Red, blue, yellow. I had to look that up. I didn't even, I literally was, what are the primary? I didn't know it either. So if you didn't, don't feel too bad about yourself. But there, so every area of life, there are primary things. And the Bible says there are a couple of primary things that if we devote our lives to these, we can leave an incredible legacy that will not go up in smoke. The Apostle Paul, look what he says. First Corinthians. Hey, Pastor Joe, you were in first Corinthians this morning. 13 different passage, making sure you're awake. And now these three remain faith. Hope and love. But the greatest of these is love. I mean, look at the first one there. There's faith, right? We're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Obviously, it's huge. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Then obviously you need hope. Well, the curveballs that life throws us, you're going to need hope here. But then love. The greatest of all these is love. I love what it says in the New Living Translation. Look what it says here. Simply it says, let love be your highest goal, your highest aim, your loftiest pursuit. Love is the supreme legacy that any of us can write with our lives. And although, although if we spend our lives, faith, hope, and love, if we devote our lives to that, that's not going to burn up as we, when we die one day and we go beyond the grave. But I would put before you, really, why is love? And I was reading this from a scholar and, tr- and trying to really distill it and just make it digestible for us here on a Sunday morning. It's interesting because when you look at faith, how important that is, we put our faith in Jesus Christ. We go to heaven. When you're in heaven and you're on the other side of the veil, beyond the grave, you will see him face to face. You won't need faith. When you think of hope, right? 
You need hope on this side, but one day you'll get into heaven. And the Bible's pretty clear. There'll be no tears. There'll be no sickness. There'll be no disease. There is no death. You will not need hope. But oh, let me tell you, friends, in case you forgot, heaven is a real place. And heaven is imbued with love. Everywhere you go, every square inch of heaven is filled with the incredible love of God. It's everywhere. You can't get away from it. Love is the supreme legacy of our lives. That is the legacy that will not burn up in smoke. Problem is, sometimes I don't think we do too well when it comes to loving other people. How many of you would say you have issues with that sometimes? Yeah, again, the rest of you are lying. I tell you that a lot, you know, when I see 40% of the hands. Um, <laughs> when, when you think of Mother Teresa, you think of a saint, mercy, compassion, When you think of John Grisham, you think of novels. When you think of Frank Lloyd Wright, you think of architecture. What about when we say your name? What what do people think of? Is your name here this morning? Listen to me. I know, again, I know it's right after Christmas. You're tired. Is your name synonymous with love? When people hear your name, when they say, man, that is one of the most loving people you will ever meet. Well, I'm not, and I thought I would tell you a little story, right? Okay, you ready for my story? To show you how, first and foremost, I, at times, you may find it hard to believe, am not the most loving person. So here we are last year. I'm going to take a little while with this story. There we are last year. Megan is, uh, I don't even know, maybe six months pregnant. My parents are down in Florida. Where am I going? Where, what, you can tell already, where am I going? I'm going to the most expensive, I mean, the, the happiest place on the face of the earth, right? She wants to set up. You didn't get it. It is the most expensive. Don't roll your eyes at me, right? People have out-of-body experiences. I've had out-of-money experiences, right? Going down to Disney World. You know it's true. So here we are. She's like, honey, you know what I'd really like? Like a you know, baby present? I'm like, baby? What baby present? You have the baby. That's it, right? You bring a child into the world. We go home. We move on as a family. Baby number two. Jameson, meet the... All right, here's your brother, right? I want to go to Disney World just for a weekend, a long weekend. Can we go down there? We'll bring Jameson. All right. Okay. Set the whole trip up. How many of you know the show, Jack Bauer 24? You remember that show? Remember what he'd say in the beginning of the show? This is Jack Bauer. This was the longest day of my life. (laughs) Say to Megan, right? This was the longest day of my life traveling down there. Got up at 3.30 in the morning, went to the gym, right? Had to work out because I knew I wasn't going to work out the next couple of days. There I am, worked out. Yeah, yeah, I'm not lying to you. Get home, right? Go to school, leave school early, do half a day. Rush to the airport, uh, meet Megan, kid, uh, Jameson's with us. Get on the plane, go down there. We're supposed to meet my parents, in-laws, supposed to have a nice dinner at a place. Now, listen, if you don't know me that well, I like to eat. I can eat a lot of food. So I'm on the plane dreaming about food, thinking about food. Everything they're trying to give me has gluten in it. I'm like, please get me off this plane so I can have some real gluten-free food, right? Right? Get off the plane. Megan starts to have pains. Now, what am I? I'm hungry, right? I'm like, honey, you're pregnant. It's normal. You'll be okay, right? You'll be fine. (laughs) Gets worse. We get our bags, right? We go and we meet them. They get us. We're going to the restaurant. Now my mouth is starting to water. I can smell the food at this restaurant. I'm dying to eat with that. We got to go to the hospital. The what? The hospital? What are you talking about? We need to eat. You're fine. You're pregnant, woman. You'll be okay. 
Now remember, mind you, remember, 3.30 in the morning, I got up, right? Now it's like, I don't even know what, what time is it? It's like midnight. We're in, the, we're in this hospital with these people. I don't even know who they are. I'm trying to work out insurance, everything. I'm like, this is a nightmare. How do I get back home? When am I going to wake up from this? We get, needless to say, whatever the issue is, she's preeclamptic, right? I learned words I, didn't, I wish I never knew, or t- terms, all this stuff. I'm like, yeah, great. All right. What is the bottom line? What does this mean? Eventually, they let us out. We go back to, it's, I, li- I didn't go to bed. It was like four o'clock in the morning. I was up for 24 hours and I'm in one of my least favorite places on the planet. I wake up the next day. I'm like, this is a nightmare. I have to go to Magic Kingdom and fight a million people to get on. It's a small world, right? Because if there's a hell, right, that's the song they're going to play. That's it. It's a small world after all. I didn't even know what I was going to tell you in the story, but this is really, this is really true. So here's the best part. That's the best part, right? Now, that isn't the best part. The next day, I'm getting to my point, I promise. So the next day. I'm with Jameson, and she's like recuperating back in the room. And I spent a couple of hours with him somewhere, and I didn't have the car. The car's back at the hotel, and I need to take a bus, right? Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. So well, I go up to the bus, and I look around, right? I look around, and I'm like, I'm exhausted at this. I look around, and I see just a sea of people. I'm disgusted. I'm like, this is unbelievable. And I'm like, listen, whatever happens, I'm getting on that bus, right? So I'm like, I'm trying to like inch my way in with the little kid and I'm like moving in. Eventually, like the bus stops, doors open. I, I you know, kind of move in ahead of people, probably pregnant women. I don't even know, old people. So I move in, I get a seat at the front. Jameson's right next to me. And I see some guy walking. The bus starts to fill up and I see some man come in and he has a, uh, he has a little baby. The baby can't be more than 10 to 12 months old. And, and God is my witness. I kind of, I sat there and I just, I looked up at the guy and I'm like, kind of stinks to be you, doesn't it? That's what I'm saying in my head. I'm being honest with you. That's what I'm saying in my head. Then across from us is another family, right? So there's a gentleman that's there and he says to, he says to the fellow that's standing with the 10 month old baby, sir, please take my seat. Please, sir, take my seat. Says, oh no, I can't do that. Sir, you have that little precious package in your arms. Please, you must take that seat. And there I am on the other side. And now I feel like I'm like this big. I wasn't giving up my seat. (laughs) This guy know what my last 24 hours have been like? You know what I'm saying? Really, there are times when we're not that loving. I wasn't proud of that moment, but it was something I never forgot. Because I like to think, and I think about myself, yeah, yeah, you're a pretty loving guy. You, like, you want to help people, and you want to be charitable. Well, I wasn't in that moment. How about you? Paul says, he goes on, and look at this in 1 Corinthians 13. Look what Paul says. First couple of, now, you've heard these a million times, these verses. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. Don't you love this? You love this passage. And what are you thinking? You're like, where's the flower girl? Where are the flowers, right? You're thinking wedding. Are you not thinking wedding when you hear this? In the next couple of verses too, you think of 1 Corinthians 13. You think weddings. Am I crazy, right? That's looking at somebody. Yeah, you do. 
Paul is saying here, I can master 20 foreign languages. I can graduate summa cum laude, magna cum laude. I don't even know which one's higher because I didn't graduate. At my high school graduation, it was everybody, summa cum laude. They always laugh at my family, magna cum laude, James Lecce. Next person, summa cum laude. It's the truth. Paul's saying here, I could be, I could graduate magna cum laude, summa cum laude. I could be a member of Mensa. I could have more degrees than a thermometer. He's saying, but listen, if I don't have love, all of that means absolutely nothing. I can memorize the Bible. I can split things in, in 20 theological hairs. I can change things. I know Greek. I know Hebrew. I know all this stuff. But he's saying without love, it means absolutely nothing. powerful when he says these words but you know what the real message of this has gotten lost and you're like what i think i know what this means i think i've heard this before well look at verse three here scholars are creating here what is paul is creating what scholars would say is a is a virtue list when he's saying if i have faith that can move mountains i have not love i am nothing if i give all i possess to the poor he's talking about certain virtues right Character, things that we would want in our lives. But he's saying here it's possible to do all these things without what? Without love in our hearts. They're completely valueless, right? Bereft of any value in our lives. And you go back to verse 1. This is fascinating when I was studying this. This is what he's really saying. He says, If I speak in tongues of the men of angels but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. You may find this hard to believe. I found it comical all week. Now, remember a couple of months ago, we did a series on Philippians, and there was a word for complainings. Anybody remember that word? You'll get a prize. Gangismas. You were close. You get a prize. I don't know what it is yet, but you'll get something for that. Now, this is what Paul is saying in the, giving you the, the, setting the context and giving you a little history here. In the first century, outside pagan temples, when you would go in, there would be a gong or a symbol. And you would kind of, this one doesn't work, don't hit the, all right, this, I don't know, but you get the idea. You, before you went in, you would actually, literally, you would hit the gong or you would hit the cymbal, and that was in essence saying, hey God, Baal, Asherah, wake up, I'm here, I need something. Are you kidding me? That's what Paul's saying here. You miss it because you don't know the, the culture. But he's saying here, if you do all of these things and have not love, it's just as silly as somebody going into a pagan temple and ringing a cymbal or hitting something, a gong, and trying to wake up a God that does not exist. There is only one God. There is one true God, and his name is Yahweh. How silly is all of that? Oh, Paul, the most brilliant writer that has ever lived. So that's what he's saying here in the beginning. And then he goes on. Go to verses 4 through 7. This is the meat of this. Is this a great passage for... For marriage? Yeah, it absolutely is. But let's look at what he's really saying, all right? Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. It keeps no record of being wrong. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. And I think when we see this, we go like, wow, what do you, you, you see this? Am I wrong that you see this? And you're like, wow, that's pretty hard to live up to that. Anybody feel that way? You look at all of everything that he is describing here and you're like, that's pretty tough. 
to do all of those things, man, that's pretty hard. Well, I love, C.S. Lewis has said some wonderful things on this, as has Tim Keller and others that I had never heard before. Um, And again, trying to really simplify when you're talking about Keller and and Lewis, sometimes they can go way over our heads. But um, especially Lewis, it really struck me. He said, you have to meet love as both a power, a force, and a person. What do I mean by that? Paul is personifying love. He's personifying love. He's not talking about some abstract person. He's not just talking about some make-believe thing out there. Oh, it's not really a person, but imagine if it really was. No. And he's using all transitive verbs here. Transitive verbs are verbs that, that have action in one sense. And then at that action has to be directed towards something, towards an object. Paul is saying here, I am personifying love. I'm giving it like human quality. You know what personification is? You remember that in English class? The grass cried for water. You know what I'm talking about? He is personifying. He has noticed what he's not saying. This is probably new to all of us. It's revolutionary. He is not saying here, you should be patient. You should be kind. You should be all of these things. He's not, that's not the message of what he's saying here. He's saying, I'm personifying. There is a power. There is a force in the universe. There is a person in the universe that has all of these qualities. And guess what? He has a life that can be lived when he gets inside you. He wants to live in and through you. He's not talking about like the Pharisees, about being changed externally from the outside in. He's talking about being changed internally from the inside out. It's an inside job. And he's saying there is another life that can live inside of you. He's personifying who Jesus Christ is, that Jesus wants to live in and through us. And that we can experience real love. Don't try. If you woke up tomorrow morning and you said for the next week, I'm going to go, I'm not going to be cranky. I'm not going to be judgmental. I'm not going to be cynical. I am going to be the most loving person that has ever lived. Good luck. Good luck with that. Let us know how that goes. Trying is not the secret to the Christian life. Letting go and realizing as we say over and over and over again, there is another life that lives inside you. And Jesus Christ is dying to live in. He's dying for us to draw on his resources, to allow him to open up and say, God, I have an issue. I'm not the most loving person. Can you live in and through me? How about Watchman E? What is it? The overcoming life? When the person that and Pastor Linda shared this story so many times, you think about people there, uh, the story of the guy that he smokes, right? And he wants to stop smoking. And watch him and he said to him, have you ever thanked God for the fact that you can't stop? Do you ever thank God for the fact that you're not the most loving person? Thank him. Don't try to will it. Say, oh, I can do this. In 2015, I am going to be a more loving person. No. But I'm telling you how important it is for us as Christians, as parents, that we create loving environments in our home. As I was crafting, listen, as I was crafting, and you may think this is kind of corny, and I guess it can be. But I was sitting there, and I was looking at my, sitting in my family room, and I'm writing just some notes, thinking about the sermon. And I was thinking about the house. If you don't know, I live in the house that I grew up in. My parents live next door. They put an extension on the house, and it really works beautifully. 
But I live in that house, and I have incredible memories. And I just went, for that, I'm just going over and over some of the wonderful memories, all the times that John teased us in the house relentlessly. I mean, unbe- the guy was unbelievable, right? My sister's going, yeah, incredible. Teased us over and over again. I was thinking about the time, Pastor Joe, you remember we had that dog? We had a dog, and older, if you've been here for a while, you probably heard this from Pastor Linda too. We had a dog, Oliver, right? And Oliver, I'll never forget this. There I am one morning. This is true. This is true. I, I'm maybe, how old am I? Maybe seven or eight years old, right? There I am on the floor. I'm watching cartoons, probably watching He-Man or Super Friends or whatever, chilling out, eating breakfast. And this dog we have, Oliver, has distemper. There were times, we literally, Pastor Joe was at a prayer meeting, maybe the week before, right? Maybe the week before. He knew he had problems when Pastor Joe has to come home and all three of us are like, I'm not going near Oliver. Every time I go near him in the corner, he just kind of growls at us, foaming at the mouth. It's usually a sign you want to get rid of the dog. So there I am, sprawled out on the floor, right? The dog just attacks me in the house. Attacks. Now, in spite of those kind of things that happen in the house, the Lecce home was filled with incredible love and joy and peace. I could go on, but no, really. But I, I, was, I was really thinking about all the wonderful experiences that I had in that house. All the wonderful meals. All the wonderful conversations that we had. And that goes on. And I said, you know what? I want to give that to my kids. I want this to be a house that has incredible love. Because you, you have to understand this, see? You have to receive love. You have to receive. In order to love other people, you have to learn how to receive love. We have to be receivers of love before we can send out and love other people. And you may say, man, you don't know what my house was like. You have no idea what the environment was in my house. I don't. And for many of you, you probably have incredibly hard memories, painful memories that you don't want to go back to. I'm here to tell you, as wonderful as these two people were, there are no perfect parents in the world. Paul is saying there is no perfect people in the world. We say that all the time. No perfect parents. We're all broken people. We're all messed up inside. He's saying, you got to go beyond. I'm personifying. I'm showing you the picture, the capstone, the pinnacle, Mount Everest, of who can live in and through you. And his name is Jesus Christ. Don't you ever look at this passage again and say, it will crush you. If you look at this passage and say, I can do that. I can be that way. I I don't want to keep records of wrongs. I can be more patient. I can be more kind. It will crush us. Because we will realize we can't live up to this. There is only one. There's only one person that could ever live up to this. And his name is Jesus. That's the glorious good news on the week after Christmas. You want to be a more loving person as you go into the next year? This is what Paul's saying. This is the supreme thing. I could have picked a lot of things to talk about. I feel like we need to be a church as we move into the new year that are extending love to other people. Yeah, it starts with meals. It's going to shelters. There's more. How about in the workplace when you go to work again on Monday and people are, well, for me as a teacher, I'm sorry, I don't live in the real world. I don't have to go to work for another week, but... For those of you that went to work after the day after Christmas or you kids or other people, right? Do you see people, how unhappy they are? There is a love that is beyond reason because there's another life that can live in and through us. You don't have to, we don't have to be a people that say, what's the next thing on the calendar? When is the next vacation? When is the next holiday? When is the next time that can actually have fun? No, this life says you can have this because I'm with you 24-7, 365, wherever you go. Do you want that? 
Because that's what he's offering us today. That's the glorious good news. And as he's personifying this and talking about this, you think, I mean, there's a lot more I have here, but I'm really just going to, I'm going to wrap up. Again, I want to highlight this. We really need, need to be a people that learn how to love by being loved. By being loved. And that's so important. Remember again, you can memorize the Bible. I've met so many Christians and they come up and they talk to me and I look at their lives and they're a mess. And I want to go, you don't know how to love other people. You may memorize things, you may know a lot, but you don't really exhibit love. People don't feel that from you. May that be for us saints at City on a Hill Community Church. May we be that kind of people. This isn't just poetry. Paul's pointing to Jesus, and you know, it's, it's quite fascinating too. Tim Keller wrote about this, and he kind of summarizing some of the things he says. He says, when Paul wrote, love suffers long, he says, how could he not have been thinking about the one who said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? When it says, love does not keep a record of wrongs, how could he not be thinking about the one who said, Father, forgive them? They do not know what they are doing. When it says love always protects, always hopes, how could he not be thinking about the one who said to the thief, today you will be with me in paradise? Again, saints, this is not just Paul writing beautiful language and he's not just sitting there with music on in the background and oh, this is, I can't wait to see how many weddings use these verses. That is the last thing that is on this guy's mind. He has one thing on his mind, that Jesus Christ would be glorified, that Jesus Christ would be known, that Jesus Christ would live in and through you. 2,000 years later, if he, was, if he, if he's, he could be watching, he'd be clapping because this is the real message. This is what he's talking about in this passage. And saints, as we come to this table this morning, I want us to grab hold of this, that it's not an abstract person, that it's really about a savior, his propitiation on that cross 2,000 years ago. When he said, it is finished, he was saying, it is accomplished. You don't have to try to do all these things on your own. You don't have to will it. You don't have to be like the Pharisees. You don't have to follow Levitical laws. You don't have to follow the Torah. There is a new kind of life. Eternity starts now. You can feel, you can have my presence with you wherever you go. This life, how come we're not drawing from it? It's, it's a well that goes, it's, it's, I don't know, bottomless. It goes on forever. There is always enough there for us to draw from. May that be for us as we come to this table. So what do you want your supreme legacy to be for 2015? I hope it's really a legacy of faith, hope, and love, but love being the greatest, that we see that. It's evident, and other people see it in your life, but you don't try to do it on your own. You realize, friends, starting this year out, there is another life that lives in and through you. New Year's resolutions, you know why they don't work? It's willpower, 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 willpower. Willpower does not work. Try it. Who wants to live by rules? You were created in the words of John Piper, I say it a lot, to be Christian hedonist. To enjoy God forever. That's what we were created for. But we're out again trying to find pleasure and joy in stupid little pleasures like fantasy football. Did I tell you I lost my fantasy football championship? Pray for me this week. (laughs) So friends, as we come to this table, we think about the one that gave up his life as that propitiation. The one who said you don't have to do it on your own anymore. There's another way chasm, the gap that was there. I've closed it. 
that there is, there, there is love that can live in and through you. He came to give us life and life to the full. It's the bread of life. May we take that and realize everything that he's giving us. May we not walk away from this Christmas season with unopened gifts because the Father wants to lavish us with incredible gifts, his presence. So please, may we take stock and hold of that. Lord, Lord, I thank you. Lord, I thank you for this passage. I thank you that the Apostle Paul is personifying a real person, but just not an abstract person, a real person, you, Lord. I thank you that you really did live. I thank you that you really do sit at the right hand of the Father right now as we speak these words. I thank you that we're called to be more just than a a, a, a holiday people, that we celebrate Christmas and we celebrate Easter. Father, I thank you that this is the day that you have made. December 28, 2014, this is the day that you have made. And regardless of what's going on in our lives, regardless of all the stress and the anxiety and the pressure, Lord, you want to live with us in this day, that we can have your joy. Oh, Father, may it be. May we find your peace lasting, Lord, beyond anything the world could ever possibly try to give us. All the holiday ads, everything gets packed away satisfaction can only be found in you. Amen. Ushers. Thanks for listening to City on a Hill's podcast. For more resources, visit us at chccny.com.